This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Harper's Ferry in West Virginia's Eastern Panhandle is famous for John Brown's raid to arm the abolitionist movement before the Civil War, among other things. There were quite a number of self-liberated um, African-Americans, formerly enslaved people, gathered in Harper's Ferry. I've seen estimates of 500 to 700 but it was also the home to one of the nation's first historically black colleges. That story and more this West Virginia morning. West Virginia's math and reading scores are some of the lowest in the nation. Chris Schultz has more. West Virginia scores fell across the board on the latest National Assessment of Educational Progress, the first nationwide measurement of learning since the pandemic. In reading, the state's average fourth grade score was 11 points below the national average, while the eighth grade average was 10 points below. In mathematics, West Virginia's fourth grade scores were 9 points below the national average, while eighth grade scores were 13 points below. Ebony Walton, a statistician and analyst with the National Center for Education Statistics, says one of the biggest factors was access to resources. Particularly for lower-performing students, they had a hard time accessing materials online. They had a hard time having a computer. They even had some difficulty having access to a teacher compared to their higher-performing peers. Walton stressed that declines in educational outcomes are not unique to West Virginia and will require a broad response. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Chris Schultz in Morgantown. A top health official says the state's three main children's hospitals are already feeling the strain from a surge in cases of a respiratory illness. Caroline McGregor has more. As children's hospitals in neighboring states experience a spike in RSV cases, hospitals in West Virginia expect to quickly follow suit. West Virginia Health Association President and CEO Jim Kaufman said the state's three main children's hospitals are reporting a noticeable uptick in numbers. Kaufman says WVU Children's Hospital in Morgantown, Charleston Area Medical Center Women and Children's Hospital and Hoops Family Children's Hospital in Huntington are all feeling the strain as pediatric bed capacity fills up. Right now the latest numbers I have about 90% of our pediatric intensive care beds are full. So we still have some capacity. However, we are very, very concerned with just the uptick in what you're seeing around the country. Kaufman said hospitals are deferring non-emergency procedures that require an inpatient stay and moving older children to adult units where appropriate to free up beds where possible. He said as hospitals try to anticipate needs, they will coordinate with other children's hospitals and health providers, including out-of-state facilities. Kaufman said with hospitals facing both bed and staffing shortages, it's critical the public does their part to help hospitals facing an influx of very young patients. That's why we're asking everybody, if they're able to get a flu shot and their COVID boosters, to please do so. Because while some people say, oh, I can still get the virus, that is true, but you're less likely to be hospitalized. And I think that's a critical part is making sure we have that capacity for patients that need it. Kaufman said the state currently has 4,200 staffed adult hospital beds and 350 staffed pediatric beds and approximately 125 pediatric ICU beds. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Caroline McGregor in Charleston. Thousands of eastern Kentucky homes were damaged by July's record flooding. Many people immediately stripped their homes and began to rebuild with what they had. 
But Katie Myers reports that rebuilding isn't a straightforward process. Flooding ruined thousands of homes in eastern Kentucky over the summer, and officials recently decided to start enforcing an ordinance that requires permits to build in the floodplain. It's ridiculous to have to go through all of this stuff. Folks like Amy Kokenauer are here seeking information. She says paperwork is too much on top of the trauma of the flood. You know, maybe, just maybe at the end of it, you might get some help. It's not, it's not a guarantee, so that's just, I'm sorry, but it's bullshit. Houses that are considered substantially damaged are required to rebuild to make them more flood resilient. Even city manager Chris Cottle had already started rebuilding when the permitting announcement dropped. I mean, uh, it's, it is what it is, but they shouldn't have waited 34 to 48 days in, into a process of people either rebuilding or whatever to come up and say, oh, you got to have a permit. His house was destroyed, and he's mad. It's my land. If I want to live under a rock, I should be able to do that without anybody telling me I can or cannot do it. The state has promised it will expedite permitting for people who have already started rebuilding and won't punish them for the work they've done. But now, homeowners in the floodplain will need to get flood insurance. Billy Sexton is a volunteer firefighter helping family members deal with paperwork. He says insurance adds another layer of costs and complications. How expensive is that going to be when people can't hardly make a living now? These regulations are intended to reduce the possibility of flood damage to homes in the future and maintain the health of the local environment. But many people don't have the resources, information, or know-how to rebuild in a flood-resilient way. Local housing advocacy organization Homes Incorporated is doing what they can. Seth Long directs the affordable housing organization in eastern Kentucky. They're rebuilding a home for a family that can't afford to leave the floodplain and had to tear their house down. The foundation of this building is built as a, a FEMA-approved floodable foundation. Uh, the, the waters can move around and it doesn't break down the foundation. If you don't have that, we saw a lot of foundations in the flood collapsing. Rebuilding like this is expensive and it may be required for many people whose homes were destroyed. But Long says it's hard to find enough skilled construction workers in eastern Kentucky. The scarcity of trades has been a, a reflection on the unhealthy housing market. Developers has, haven't been attracted to coming to eastern Kentucky to build because there's so many risks on so many different levels. But people are still frustrated, particularly when they've gotten less FEMA assistance than they were hoping for, or none at all. Patrick Boland is a media representative for FEMA. He says people should remember that low award amounts are for contractor estimates and people should appeal. It's not the end, right? People, people had the sense that this was the only assistance they were going to get, but that is not the case. But residents say instructions from FEMA haven't been clear in the aftermath of the disaster. It's not obvious that these initial awards are for contractor estimates. And the appeals process is difficult for many still trying to recover after the disaster. Darina Dunbar and her parents live in nearby Millstone. They've been struggling to find someone to fix their heating system before winter. Their house is unlivable right now. It's stripped to the studs. She just hopes it'll all work out. It, it's kind of like the road's real crooked. Yeah. Instead of straight for everybody, it's just real crooked. Have to stop at a couple stop places, you know. For the Ohio Valley Resource, I'm Katie Myers. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751.
becoming partly sunny and warm today. High temperatures in the 70s. There's a chance of rain tonight with lows in the 40s and 50s. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy skies with a chance of rain. Highs in the 50s and 60s. And sunny on Thursday with highs in the 50s and 60s. Support for WVPB is provided by Marshall Health, providing comprehensive primary and specialty care throughout southern West Virginia and the tri-state region. More at marshallhealth.org. In 2017, Lynn Pachokanis moved into her residence in Harper's Ferry, soon discovering it was the previous home of the longest-serving black teacher at the historical Storer College. Pachokanis's curiosity and research led her to create a biography about that teacher, William Saunders. Reporter Shepard Snyder spoke to her about the book titled Man of Sterling Worth, Professor William A. Saunders of Storer College. For our listeners who might not know, can you talk about Harper's Ferry and its impact on Black history and culture? Sure thing. So a lot of people think of John Brown when they think of Harper's Ferry and his raid and It probably had some impacts on the town that he didn't expect. By the end of the Civil War, there were quite a number of self-liberated African-Americans, formerly enslaved people, gathered in Harpers Ferry. I've seen estimates of 500 to 700. And the um, missionaries from the Free Will Baptist Church up in the north had already sent people down here. Harper's Ferry seemed like an ideal place for a school. And so the school started out teaching children, and soon it was believed that we needed a normal school and a school to teach teachers because the need for education was so great among the Black population. So um, the Baptists up north were able to convince John Storer to donate $10,000, and Storer College was begun. And because of Stora College, uh, even a greater population of, of African-Americans flocked to Harper's Ferry. And, and also the school had a very progressive stance towards um, encouraging home ownership in the town. And so a number of uh, Black residents were, were able to purchase property and have homes on really good land up in the upper town area where it was not prone to flooding like in the lower town. And there was quite a thriving Black community here from, you know, just after the Civil War until, you know, for about 100 years after that. This book is particularly about one professor from store, Professor William Saunders. I was wondering if you could go into a little bit why you had an interest in him specifically. Why is he important? What I discovered was that Professor Saunders was the longest serving Black teacher at Stora College. So he was there from 1907. He retired in the 1940s, but continued to be an integral part of the school even after that. The president called him once um, a man of sterling worth and a friend of every righteous cause. He was known for helping struggling students. He boarded students in his home. 
And he taught an amazing breadth of classes from math to science to professional studies and teaching to sociology to history of West Virginia and even Bible courses. So it was really hard to to earn a degree at Stora College in the 20th century without sitting through at least one class from Professor Saunders. And he also was just an incredible man who who served in his community and was a leader throughout the area. What was it like sort of researching material about his life and kind of getting material for this book? So there was a bit of a challenge. Professor Saunders married another Stora College graduate who was um, quite a bit, I think at least 12 years younger than himself. She was a teacher, Inez was a teacher here in Harpers Ferry as well. She taught at the the elementary school for black children here, but they never had any children of their own. So there was nobody to save their photos and their papers, no direct descendants to speak with. So really I was left with looking at what's in the public record and what had been archived at Stork, in Store College's archives, many of which are held by the West Virginia University Library. Um, some are still held by the Park Service, which took over the Store College property after it closed. Um, and and those records are just full of references to Professor Saunders. Um, he was always, you know, leading prayers, teaching classes. Uh, very early in his career here, he was um, a football coach. Um, he he played in the band. He performed in in productions and theater productions that the school had. So his his name is sprinkled throughout the records, all, all over the place um, in store college records and also in newspaper articles. A.B. Caldwell history includes a, a brief biography of him. Um, I also found some interesting information from a biography that his grandniece's husband wrote in a creative writing class at store college. Now, fast forward to Today, why should people care about Professor Saunders and Storer College? Uh, what do you think their legacy is in, I guess, the modern era in 2022? It's really important to understand history, understand that, that Harper's Ferry was not just about John Brown's raid and the Civil War. Um, there were a lot of really great people who lived here who were involved with the college, who wanted to see people get an equal education here. I know that the alumni of Stora College held it very dear, that this was a place, um, often people refer to it as a Stora College bubble. And there was not just the campus, but the whole section of the neighborhood where African-American residents felt safe, even if they didn't attend the school. The young people came to Stora College. And it's just a beautiful, inspiring story that I, I find incredibly interesting. I think others do as well. That was author Lynn Pachokini speaking with Eastern Panhandle reporter Shepard Snyder about her book, Man of Sterling Worth, Professor William A. Saunders of Storer College. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University.
West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Amelia Nicely, Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, David Adkins, Eric Douglas, Jessica Lilly, Liz McCormick, Randy Yowie, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.